Welcome to the broadcast of the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Our desire is that today's message will multiply God's grace to you. To contact us, please call us at 208-331-4096. We'll repeat that number again at the end of our broadcast today. But now, here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. We're beginning an exploration on how to pray for the nations, on missionary praying. I encourage you to listen in to this day's broadcast. Depending on your perspective, you may think that the last election cycle has resulted in the answer, positively or negatively, of America's future. Some are wringing their hands. Others are clapping them. But we in the church have yet to strike upon our patriotic duty for our nation. It's not met in our vote. It's met in our prayers and in our efforts to reach the nations for Jesus Christ. I want to read to you verses 22 through 26 of Genesis chapter 18. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him, speaking of the angel of the Lord that has appeared to Abraham in a theophany, and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 people in the city? Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. I am certain that in this time of the year, you've been watching and following the different things that are happening in the political scene in our country. You're trying to figure out what your patriotic duty is in response to all the choices that might be laying before you. You are maybe aware, you should be aware that things are turning in a sense. God is, how would I put it this way? I think the choices that God has given us in this political season should convince the people of the evangelical churches of North America that we are under God's judgment. That one way or the other, God is not going to let us escape. God is not going to let us cast our messianic hope on some political system. That God is showing us that we have invested and since run our currency in the wrong direction. And we've invested our concerns in the wrong way. We've occupied ourselves with following political blogs, of trying to figure out what the solution is, of championing those political positions on a consistent basis, thinking that if somehow, if we don't become a voice to turn the tide to whatever we think might be the final political answer, all will be lost. And of course, the thing that we're worried about losing is the place of blessedness that we've had in this country, of being forced out of our comfort zones. God forbid that we should be struck in that way. But it seems as though when God judges people, he limits the choices between bad choice and another bad choice. In order that the people of God would, caught in between the rock and the hard place, cast themselves upon him. Let me suggest to you what I think our patriotic duty is in the face of what we're facing right now. I think that if you were to study church history, and if particularly you'd study church history as it overlaps U.S. history you would find that the rise of the United States to a position of prominence and power and material benefit and blessing corresponds with a rise of the modern missionary movement. You'll see that the U.S. began to really take 
off in its political power around the world in the late 1860s. And that's really when the modern mission movement began to introduce itself with force in North America. From that, that was somewhat after the end of the Civil War. The church was on a zenith in which it seemed to be exponentially rising. And at the rate that it was rising, another thing was rising, which was a tremendous passion and response within the North American church to send out missionaries to the ends of the earth. And that kind of hit its final peak in the 1980s with the fading away of the missionaries that went out to answer God's call following World War II. After that, the church kind of changed its focus. Instead of having this idea that the driving force behind the North American church was to sound out its mission to the ends of the earth, the church began to focus more upon attracting people into its own midst and finding its own comfort zones. And the idea was we'll spend our money building mega churches and putting bowling alleys within them and providing programs for parents who want their children to be comfortable and happy. And my friend who was a missions teacher at a missionary institute in Canada told me back in the early 90s that the challenge they were facing was a new generation of young people who wanted to go to the mission field, but parents who would not let them go. Christian parents who had sent their children away to make sure they didn't wander off too far to this Christian institute, but not wander too far off from the comforts of Christianity, but also not wander too far off from home. And that became the pattern of the North American church. And with it, there has been a diminishing significantly of the numbers of missionaries that have been sent out from the evangelical church, even as the numbers within the evangelical church continue to rise until the late 1990s and early 2000s. And with it as well, there became a significant diminishing of the amount of money that was being sent out to missions. Just recently, I told you earlier this year that there was a renewal of appointing a person to be the head of the Southern Baptist, the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist, the largest Protestant missionary sending organization in the world, because there was a hope that this individual was young and dynamic and that he would strike a chord to send out and thrust out more missionaries from the Southern Baptist to the ends of the earth. This year, they actually had to, after a period of time, they've had to drop their numbers by 25% of all the missionaries they're sending out. It's not expanding, it's shrinking. Let me suggest to you that the reason that God blessed the United States was because God was raising up the resources necessary to send out through the church missionaries to the ends of the earth. And when the evangelical church of our community begins to turn away from its mission, God turns away from blessing North America. In fact, if you wanted to find out where countries are rising up economically and where God seems to be blessing them, you'll find an interesting corresponding reality. That in those countries, there's a vibrant evangelical church that's laid hold of the vision of sending missionaries out to the ends of the earth. That's what you'll find in South Korea. That's actually what you'll find in China right now. That's actually what you'll find in India. This impulse to send missionaries out to the ends of the earth and God saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and I'm going to provide for you and I'll provide, I'm going to bless your nation. So, you know what the evangelical church's patriotic duty is? to get its attention back to bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's its patriotic duty, if you want to find one. But beyond a patriotic duty, what we spoke about last week is something to me that's even more compelling, which is a priestly duty. The response of being brought into covenant relationship with God, of having your name 
changed and your whole identity changed because of your faith in God's provision of salvation, of in that being brought into an intimate relationship with God where God communes with you and God speaks to you and God, in a sense, breaks bread with you, which is the story of Abraham that we read in chapters 15 and 17 and 18 of Genesis. That results in God in that fellowship. Because by faith you believe in His promises, because by faith in that promise God has changed your whole identity, God, as a result of redeeming you and regenerating you, brings you into fellowship with Him. In that fellowship where you commune with Him and you know Him, God begins to whisper into your ear His secrets, His plans to bless nations, and His plans also to judge nations, which God does in Genesis chapter 18. And this is, in a sense, the privileged responsibility or the privileged relationship that the person who's been brought into relationship with God has. He's been forgiven. He's been transformed. He's been changed. He's been brought into relationship with God. God now communes with his heart. And at the same time, God reveals to him his plans and desires to bless people. But God also reveals to him his judgment upon people without him. And the response by Abraham is, as we see in this passage, he remains standing before the Lord. God has revealed to Abraham that he's going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And here in this passage, we have the very first prayer recorded in the Bible. And the very first prayer recorded in the Bible is not a person praying for themselves, not a person praying for their own benefit and their own needs and their own desires or their own concerns or their own fears, but it's a person praying for someone else. It's a prayer of intercession for someone else. And this person isn't praying for his wife or his children or his community or his servants. This person is praying for a people that is foreign to him. A people that are not his own people. And of all things, he's praying for a wicked group of people. The very first intercessory prayer in the Bible is Abraham praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. There has not been two cities throughout the history of humankind that have had a worse label on themselves than Sodom and Gomorrah. If you want to find the identity of the most wicked portrayal of any place in human history, we would say Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is interceding for them. God for them. God spare. God deliver. And so we discover what is our priestly duty when we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, when by faith we've been saved, we've been transformed and made new creatures. We have a relationship with Him now. We're reconciled to Him. In that reconciled relationship, He talks with me and He walks with me and He tells me I'm His own and He reveals to me his plans to bless, and he also reveals to me his plans to judge. And the response of this relationship with him is now he sets me before him and leads me before him as a priest to intercede for others. I represent God to them. I represent them to God. I intercede. I pray for them. It is my duty. It is my responsibility. What I did last week was I sent out to you an email, and in that email i sent out a list of seven ways in which we can learn to pray for missions that are commanded to us from Scripture. I also asked you during the service last week, I asked you to consider setting aside one day a week in which you would set aside some specific period of time 
in which to specifically pray for the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth, pray for missions. And I told you that we would begin a, a short series in which we consider ways in which we pray that way. The list that I'm offering to verses that were shared with us by Sundar Krishnan when I was at a conference in Thailand. Sundar Krishnan is the brother-in-law of Ravi Zacharias, and he was giving a brief training from Scripture on how to pray for missions. And his contention was that the verses that he shared with us uniquely apply to the missions since every church that the apostles planted was assumed to be a missions force, to take the gospel further and extend it out to the unknown regions around them. You may personally know various missionaries. You may have contact with relatives or friends who have gone to different places to serve the Lord in far-off lands. But as you think about praying for missions workers, I would first ask you to consider, and as you put this into a framework, those workers who represent the ministry of our own fellowship, like Ignacio and Malin Morelis, who are serving the Lord in Ecuador right now at the Ninawachi Institute of Missions, or Mark and Cheryl Schaefer, who are also the principals and founder of that school, to pray for Aleka Dragotis, who is working in Greece and Bulgaria, to pray for Ernest and Yvonne Ung, who are carrying on ministry in Cambodia. To pray for Cassie Wallace, as I mentioned, who's serving the Lord in Thailand. There's a good starting point for you. Your church should have a central commitment to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and there should be some missionaries affiliated with your fellowship. Why don't you begin by committing to pray for them every week? You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.